0: Matthew McPartlin here from the Intensive Care Network. We've been evolving the site since its launch back in 2011, and we've been astounded by the level of interest in the material that we produce and host from critical care providers other than doctors. For a while now, we've been planning some feature sections for some of our clinical colleagues, so it's great to be posting up the first bit of content to the ICN nurse section of the site. This first post is a podcast in which clinical nurse educator Paula Sheridan-Mull sits down with Sue Meach, who is a tracheostomy clinical nurse specialist in a non-tertiary hospital, to discuss some pearls of tracheostomy care that may be helpful for nurses at the bedside. Feel free to leave any comments or questions and any suggestions for topics you might like to hear in the future. Take care.
1: Good morning, everybody. My name's Paula sheridan Moles, and this is our inaugural podcast for the day. I'm here with Sue Meach, our tracheostomy CNS2, and um, we're just going to have a short conversation about her role and responsibilities and tips that we could give to new RNs um, wanting to know about tracheostomies.
0: Hello, Sue. Good morning, Paula.
1: Okay, how did the tracheostomy CNS2 role come about, including organising a tracheostomy review team? How did that all come about?
0: Well back in 2011 I worked as one of the ICU liaison nurses here in, in the hospital and I was very involved at the time and had a big interest in educating general ward nursing staff about tracheostomies and we identified there was a gap in the knowledge of most of the general ward staff and so with the help of the senior head and next speech pathologist and under the guidance of the ACI tracheostomy guideline that was released in draft form about the same time, we were able to advocate for a tracheostomy review team. Uh, We were lucky enough to get one of the ENT surgeons on board and he was um, very proactive with us in in trying to start this and, and gave us the support of one of his ENT registrars. Initially it was only Once a, once a fortnight and we were quickly able to increase that to once a week when it was found that the, that we actually were making a difference to the management of the ward staff, particularly those non ENT tracheostomies, which we have in the hospital, usually under the guise of neurosurgery, the patients that have been a long wean off the ventilator.
1: You mentioned the tracheostomy review team. Who else is that? Because that's a multidisciplinary approach with the team that you work with. Who else is involved in that team?
0: Well, initially it was supported by the ICU liaison nurses and whoever happened to be working that shift supported the the team and it was driven by our head and neck speech pathologist and the ENT registrar. We were able to get on board the senior ward physiotherapist for the neurosurgical ward and we got a great amount of support from the senior ICU physiotherapist as well and we would meet each Thursday and review all the patients in the hospital including the ICU patients and guide their care. So you mentioned or actually I mentioned that your
1: position was a CNS2 so what were the qualifications or experience that you needed in order to fulfill the criteria for this role?
0: Okay, so the tracheostomy nurse position was defined as basically an education role to support both nursing and medical and allied health staff um, across the spectrum and also to support the patients and their carers. Um, It was identified as a very autonomous role and, and therefore quite a senior role. Um, And also my experience as an ICU liaison nurse where I spent a lot of time with the ward staff and often found that the the easiest way to educate people was at at the bedside, one-on-one, hands-on. And so that all stood me in good stead and it's been a reasonably steep learning curve as far as uh, dealing with other members of the multidisciplinary team but I've, I've been very fortunate in having very good backup and very good support from a lot of the senior medical staff in ICU. Education's a big part of the role, but I've found that a lot of it has been learning as I go and learning what works best. Um, so I, I have developed a big kit of um, spare trackies, of, of old trackies. I've developed a model that can be used for teaching both staff and patients and carers, and it's been a, a very much a, a learning Role for me as well as for the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, because this
1: isn't—it's really a, um, an inception role, isn't it? Uh, this is the first time that because there are loads of tracheostomy review teams, but this is a purpose-specific role, and yes. so yeah, you are learning as you're going along. Yes. Yeah, a
0: lot of the other the tracheostomy patients in a lot of the big metropolitan hospitals come under the guise of the head and neck CNC or the um, oncology CNC, and so this is is one of the few standalone tracheostomy slash laryngectomy positions that I'm aware of.
1: Great. And what better person than yourself, Miss Sue?
0: (laughs) Okay, so if you were speaking to a junior
1: nurse about your role, um, what advice would you give them? You know, if they came up to you and
0: said, "What, what do you actually do? I would tell them that I am there to help them, to guide them to provide them with resources, with education material to point them in the right direction, but I'm also there to work with them at the bedside. I'm not there to take over their role, I'm not there to take over the care of their patient, but I'm more than happy to to be there and work alongside them and help educate them and help broaden their knowledge.
1: That's great. So in your role, what resources have you come across that you would recommend to nursing staff wanting to learn more about tracheostomies?
0: Well, I think the most important one at the moment is the, um, the ACI guideline. And it is a guideline. It's, it's very, it it doesn't recommend a a specific product. It doesn't tell you how to do things, but it, it gives a guide on everything from woe to go with Trackies, basically. And so we've used that as a, as a resource. Um, it's readily available. It gives clear, concise instructions and it's very easy to understand. It is a big document, but it's, it's, once you're used to navigating it, it's very easy to, to use. I'd also tell them to be aware of their own local area policies and I can you know certainly show people how to find them on the internet and and to, to read them they're, they're easy to read that we've tried to condense it as much as possible but to also be interested enough to explore other avenues and uh, there's a lot of information on the web these days there's everything from podcasts as you say to YouTube um, to, to actual sites. A specific one that comes to mind is the Tracheostomy Review and Management Service out of the Austin Hospital in Melbourne. And if you if you Google trams, there are a huge number of, of resources available that are self self directed learning and make make a lot of sense.
1: Would you be able to share some of your online resources through the web after this podcast, just absolutely. in case um, people yeah, would like absolutely. to absolutely um, get some Compl- direct complaint. links? Yeah, that yeah. would be great. Okay, so if a I... Nurse was referring a tracheostomy patient to you. What kind of information would you like to have at hand for that consult to progress or to occur?
0: I think it just needs to be very basic, um, particularly if it's going through an EMR system. You, you know, you don't have a lot of room to add huge amounts of. Of um, background information. So, really, just one or two words, and, and, and basically, we need to know why the tracheostomy was inserted. Is it for weaning? Is it for airway protection? Is there some other concern? Where the patient is, obviously, and what the staff and the patient require from me, whether it's just education, whether it's uh, some kind of discharge planning, whether we need to implement a re- weaning regime. So, really, I need to know short, concise what do you want me? Yet, what can I do for you? What tube? What size? What size yeah, that, what that, resources really not, you may need? The tube, the size is really not relevant until I get to the bedside. Okay. Um, but really, what can I do for you? Okay. So, just in a few words, you know, that the, there is a tracheostomy. Where the patient is, obviously, because I don't have time to troll mm-hmm. the whole hospital looking for them. And what I can do for you okay. when I get there.
1: Great. Now, I did a quick poll uh, around the ICU that I'm working. Um, just to ask a couple of uh, questions just off the fly. Are you happy to answer some of sure, these questions? Sure. Okay, great. So what do you feel is the most important take-home message for tracheostomies?
0: For staff particularly, it is that the um, the tracheostomy may well be the patient's only airway. So to be, to be respectful of it, to be knowledgeable of it, to increase your own knowledge using the resources that are available to you, and if you don't know, for goodness sake, ask Now, the next question's quite loaded. What could we do better? (laughs) I think we all have a duty of care to our patients. I think that that we owe it to our patients to know what we're doing with the equipment that they have or that they require. And I think that broadening our knowledge and self-learning and using the the resources that are available is what what we can do best, what we should be improving on.
1: Lovely. So why do we do routine tracky changes on day seven?
0: (coughs) Well... That's a bit of a misnomer, and there's two schools of thoughts about that about routine trachea changes. One seems to be driven by the intensive care side of things, and it's if if the trachea's in the airway, stable, there's no issues, and you're not the patient's still ventilated, then leave it alone. The other side comes from the ENT perspective, who feel that a routine change is warranted um, so that they can observe the stoma they can remove any flange or stay sutures that might have been inserted and that it allows for a possible downsizing of the tube if, if required the track is deemed to be safe then it's at the seven day mark for less experienced operators but ENT still advocate that they should do the first change just so that if anything goes wrong there's someone there that's very familiar with the equipment and the, the routine yes and the airway and, and the airway. airway yeah and the anatomy because
1: yeah okay great so
0: can people eat or drink with tracheostomy yes they can and many do um, especially those patients with long-term tracheostomies that are often educated in hospital and and go home with the tracheostomy with conditions such as tracheomalacia or vocal cord palsy so those kind of patients um uh, need to be carefully assessed by speech pathology before they go home to make sure there's no contraindicating to their contraindication to their eating and drinking. And they all need to have either a tolerating cuff down on their trachea or an uncuffed tube, ideally. Lovely. Why do
1: surgeons suture so close to a stoma that you can't really effectively clean underneath it
0: or place the dressing around it? So there's two ways of inserting a trachea, percutaneously, which is routinely done in intensive care, and it's a nice, neat little incision, and the tube goes in. ENT surgeons like to be a little more generous with their incision, and the tube is generally sutured in ENT fill, that if they have to put a trachea in, they really don't want it to come out, so they very kindly suture the flange to the skin, um, and those sutures usually stay in for seven days. And in doing that, they actually make it almost impossible to get a dressing underneath and and to clean effectively. So there are pros and cons for both ways, but it's definitely very difficult, much more difficult to look after the um, stone and the sutures. Yes, the the suture. Okay, and this is an emergency mm-hmm.
1: compromised airway scenario question. When do you actually make the decision to remove and or replace or reintubate the stoma? In effect, how far does the tube, tracheostomy tube actually need to be out before you've considered, I've lost this airway?
0: Okay, so this comes back to knowledge about your patient and why the tube is in and whether it's percutaneous trachea, which will be a very really tiny little incision, it's very small stoma, and may be very difficult to find that stoma. Um, and if it's a, an ENT suit uh, inserted tracheostomy, it will have stay sutures in, so that will make it a little more, uh, a little easier if the trachea was to come out. A compromised airway due to a dislodged tube is very difficult. If the trachea is a relatively new, one less than two or three days old, and less than 72 hours is the the gold standard and the patient has a patent upper airway, and again you need to know your patient and why the tracheostomy has been inserted, then oral intubation is the way to go. If the patient has a non-patent upper airway, then you've only got the stoma to deal with, and the tube being in or out is uh, is often difficult to ascertain. If the cuff is down and the tube has migrated, then it's it's... It's out. I would say if it's an older stoma, if it, if the trachea was inserted two or three days ago, then chances are you're able to to use that stoma. Sometimes it might need to be a much smaller tube, and that's when knowing that your safety equipment is in the the immediate vicinity, your smaller size tube, your trachea dilators. If it's an ent inserted tracheostomy, the stay sutures will still be in place, so those are able to be used. But really, if the, if the tube has come out, it needs, it is a, a medical emergency and it does need to be dealt with quite quickly. So you, need, you can't deal with it on your own. You need to make sure that you've got help on the way.
1: Is there any other adjunct therapies that you could also use at the bedside to um, establish if we've lost the airway?
0: You can um, try passing a suction catheter. If the, obviously, if the catheter won't go beyond the end of the, the trachea, there is a, um, a blockage of sorts. Um, it's more than likely out. You could try using um, an entitled CO2 capnograph on the end of the tube to see whether there's any CO2 passed. You can obviously try auscultating the chest if there's any air movement. Monitor the patient, obviously, saturation. Put high flow oxygen on their mask. Use a non rebreather bag. If the tube is out, if it's completely out, you can support the stoma using the dilators using the stay sutures see whether the patient's able to manage without the chucky and mm. remain calm remain with the patient get help would be my advice, advice. your advice
1: well thank you sue There uh sums up our 15 minute conversation with each other um thank you so much for, thank you for giving having me. your time and expertise and uh we'll talk again soon thank you very much see you later